Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing Kirk and Spock from Star Trek, the original series. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Star Trek this week. I'm so excited. So Kirk and Spock, who are these folks? I'm sure people have heard of them. They're pretty iconic. It's the the captain of the Starship Enterprise, the first officer, but they are the original Slash ship. Not just that they're the first like two guys that have been shipped together, but why Slash Vic is called Slash Vic is Kirk and Spock. They were Kirk slash Spock. So what are we looking at for this episode? Well, there's a lot of Star Trek out there in the world. So we're keeping this basically just to the original series with like a smattering of discussion about the movies, but not the new movies, the movies with Shatner and Nimoy in them. So who's watched what? So I have watched all of the original series and all of the original series movies. I guess it's worth saying I love Star Trek. Right. I don't know that we've talked about that yet on the podcast. What have you seen, Maddie? I have seen just a selection of episodes that were chosen for me by you. I don't know if people know this. We live in different places. When I watched the episodes, we were together. So there was a list that we were, that was the goal list that we watched. And then I think we watched a few more just at random. We had some additional time. Also, you watched Star Trek for The Voyage Home where they saved the whales. I sure did. I didn't watch The Wrath of Khan. I watched The Voyage Home because I love movies about people saving whales and time traveling and you knew it would be right up my alley. So yeah, just random for me. And though I am not a lifelong Star Trek fan like you are, I have found myself to be a convert from this experience because I had a hell of a good time (laughs) watching the two of them. I have to say, I think, you know, whenever you love something and you're showing it to someone who you There's whose a opinion you care about, yeah, you're yeah. like, oh my God, what if Maddie doesn't like Star Trek? How am I going to handle that? How will we move past that in our relationship? But luckily, you seem to really enjoy it. And honestly, in particular, your, your delight when you saw the Gorn, like, <laughs> I, I'm going to keep that memory with me forever. <laughs> The Gorn is so great. And I had, I'm sure, like, as you said, when we were watching it, it's like a meme at this point. It's been everywhere. And I'm sure that I have seen images of it before on the internet, but I don't remember taking it in. When the Gorn appeared, it was a surprise to me. (laughs) But yeah, so I had a great time. I appreciate you showing it to me. As long as I've known you, I've known of your love for Star Trek. So I'm happy to finally be brought into the, to the fold. To some of it. To some of the fold. I don't know if I'm going to get into all these other Star Treks. It's a lot of investment. But yeah, at some point, I'll definitely be finishing the original series because it's just such a good time. And what's not to like about Kirk and Spock? They're so fun. So of course, Star Trek is an episodic show. So we don't have the same necessarily like level of building as you would in a serialized drama. So in terms of like the nature of the relationship, we think the easiest thing is to just go through some of our favorite moments. Just moments, I think, is probably the way to do it, since there's not an arc to their relationship, really. There's like a bit more of an arc when you get to the films. Yeah. But yeah, the the episodes are are a lot of little moments. And we also watched a couple of clip compilations. Yes, we watched clip compilations for the show and for the films, which was good since I've only seen one of the films. So seeing the moments from that was good. But it's funny because I loved them. I loved them both. I I loved the actors and the characters and their fun together was evident. But it's funny which moments are the ones that stand out to me because I think probably my favorite moment of theirs is this moment from shore leave where Kirk is getting like he's complaining about how his back is sore and he thinks Spock starts giving him a back massage and then Spock steps to the side and it becomes clear that it's like some ensign or something who's yeah. giving him a back massage and then he he's really into it when he thinks it's Spock and he's like yeah harder like <laughs> over there Mr. Spock Dig in there Mr. And, Spock right and then it, when it becomes clear it's not Spock touching him he's like uh, that'll do <laughs> Thank you so much. Like back into his work persona. And I don't know why, but it tickles me. There's just something so great about it because like, I don't know what the other implications of it are. Like, why would he be so cool with Spock giving him a a massage in the middle of the freaking (laughs) office, basically? Like, why does this seem acceptable to you? And then when it's someone else, he's like, oh, no, this is a workplace. 
Yes. It's interesting, too, because it's relatively that episode's relatively early on in the run of the show. So it's not like, you know, we're three seasons in and we know their relationship. It's just like, I guess this is what they're like. (laughs) Yeah, they just have this intimate of a relationship where they would be giving each other massages. It's great. That's good. And funnily enough, I think that might have been the first bit of theirs that I watched. Yeah, I think that was one of the the earlier episodes. And it's really easy because it's right at the beginning of the episode. We didn't watch that whole episode. We just watched the cold open where Spock is giving Kirk a massage. what a cold open it is. (laughs) I adore that. But yeah, it's full of moments that I have loved. They're maybe my favorite episode that we watched, though there there was a lot to love about all of them, is this one, a piece of the action where they're are like cosplaying as 1920s gangsters basically and i don't know if there's one moment from it that i love but it's Mm -hmm. just so clear throughout that kirk is having the time of his life pretending to be a mobster and spock is just like indulging him the whole way through you can tell that kirk is having a great time there's that scene where that he Kirk is giving somebody like a you know shakedown or whatever and he sits down at the desk and puts his feet up on the desk and then he like convinces Spock to put his feet up on the desk too which is something that Spock would never do so it's like why is he playing along with this but they're just having so much fun that well a lot of what I like about the show is how much fun they're having making it I think yeah that comes through the thing I love about that episode is the bickering over Kirk's driving because it's like so wonderfully domestic (laughs) yes absolutely that is so fun it's full of great moments that one plus I mean they look damn good in their suits they do. There's a, one that is a clip from an episode that we didn't even watch that I love where Spock is having to mind meld with Kirk and he comes out of the mind meld and is like clearly really affected and the people around him are like, what's going on? And he's like, his mind. He's a very dynamic individual. <laughs> and you're like, okay, Spock, wow. that's solving any of our problems or you're just letting us know? He can't help himself. He's so taken by yeah, Kirk's mind. I mean, the intimacy of the mind melt is also like, that's fascinating. And, you know, the root of so much fan fiction. Uh, what else? There's a lot of good stuff. I like when Kirk meets Spock's parents, mm-hmm. the like interesting awkwardness of that. And he doesn't know who they are. And then he finds out and it's like super weird. <laughs> well, that episode is really interesting. So there's both like an element of Kirk realizes that Spock doesn't really get along with his dad, but then Spock's dad has like a heart problem and they need Spock's blood in order to do the procedure and Kirk gets injured and so he's like I have to go run the ship but when he leaves to go run the ship he actually goes to the brig to find out who stabbed Kirk and I'm like you're not even going to run run the ship ship. and it's like Kirk wanted you to save your dad right Kirk would not want you to do this but he just it's like he's both so obsessed with figuring out what happened to Kirk but also like kind of without Kirk's support isn't that interested in mending his relationship with his dad because there's just so much weirdness to it that he's like oh what a shame I can't have this bonding moment with my dad because I gotta go deal with this Kirk thing <laughs> so because it was Kirk who was pushing him to save yeah. him in the first place that's true another little moment that I really enjoyed and that we put in the list is in the beginning of what little girls are made of Kirk gets like turned into a robot Kirk essentially and when he's calling up to the ship, Spock immediately knows it's not him, even though he's an identical replica. And his yeah. his response to Kirk being weird is, are you okay? You sound tired. Which again, is like <laughs> very domestic. It's so domestic. The, the moments that really sell it that are so good are the ones that make you think about what happens when they're not in an episode, right? Like the reason that the back massage thing is great is because it's like, how much are you guys doing this to each other off screen? Like, my God. Right. And that with that, it's like, do they normally call the other at the end of the day and be like, I'm really tired. Like, it's been such a long day. He just <laughs> knows like, something is slightly off with Kirk. He knows it's just, it's not Kirk. Yeah, he can tell. And, and that's the same in, in Mirror Mirror too, when the evil version of, of Kirk shows up. That is quite clear. They're, like, they, whenever there's something that has happened to them where they become a different version of themselves they are the ones who can recognize that they are not themselves right because they yeah. just have this complete and utter sense of what they're supposed to be like what's the one where the like clone version of kirk goes onto the ship to get something and and 
Kirk has implanted into the clone version of himself that he should be a dick to Spock. <laughs> and so then Spock knows. That's what little girls are made of too. Yeah, he, t- he convinces him to say mean stuff to Spock and then of course he does and Spock is like, well, that's not Kirk. <laughs> like, Kirk would never. Kirk would never say that. In terms of domesticity, I love the one when they travel back in time and they're living in the like tenement slum together in the depression. Well, even though that's one where Kirk is having this weird like romance relationship with the lady who's running the place, it is fun to see them sharing this space together. Yeah, and, the flat. Yeah. I mean, we would be remiss if we don't talk about Amok Time, which is the Pond oh, Far yeah. episode. Obviously. That's a classic. You you informed me before we even like started the podcast that it's like a trope now throughout yep. fan fiction. And that of course is the episode where Vulcans mate once every seven years, but they go into this like blind biological rage where they either have to have sex or kill someone or they'll die. Fuck or die, man. It's a trope. <laughs> yeah. And Spock's betrothed rejects him, so he has to fight someone. She selects Kirk. And Kirk, knowing nothing of the rules of the situation in classic Kirk style, is like, yeah, I'll do it. And then they're like, okay, this means one of you has to die. And And he's like, like, oh, man, I shouldn't have been so enthusiastic. I thought this was just a fun time. (laughs) (laughs) And so Spock thinks he kills Kirk. Really, McCoy has given him basically a sedative. Good thing they don't really check. Yeah, it is good. But it, you know, dispels his his blood fever. And they go back up. As soon as he thinks that Kirk is dead, it snaps him right out of it. And then, of course, when they get back up on the ship, Spock is like, I'm going to turn myself in. And then Kirk comes up behind him and he's like, I don't think you need. I forget exactly what he says, but he's like, shouldn't you ask your captain about that first or something? And and Spock completely loses his composure (laughs) and grabs onto Kirk and goes, Jim. And he's like smiling this huge smile. Yeah. And it's like, wow, where did all this emotion come from? As well? Right, Mr. No Emotions. Sure. Uh-huh. No one believes you. Oh, a moment I didn't mention is the one where they, I don't remember if they're infected with something or whatever. Yeah, the naked time. But yes, they get like a bacteria that makes them seem drunk. Bach is, you know, seeming drunk because of this thing. And he's in a room just like sitting and thinking about his emotions. And then Kurt comes in and he confesses that he feels this strong friendship for him. And whenever he does, it makes him feel ashamed. And you're like, wow, there's a lot going on inside of you, Spock. (laughs) You should really open up some more. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the show. I'm sure there's a million other moments we've missed. The movies, obviously, we didn't watch Wrath of Khan, but I've seen famous death scene and the, their hands against each other on the glass and like it's pretty lovely but that scene in search for spock which we also didn't watch where Spock's dad assumes because of the way that it is for vulcans to die that Spock would have found a way to pass along his you know essence and he knows that that other person would be kirk because like who else would it be <laughs> so he comes and is like i know you're his person, basically. I know that he would have put his memories into you. And so he has to mind meld with him and find out it's not him. And then luckily he did share with someone else. Um, with McCoy. We haven't talked about McCoy. There's there's a lot going on with McCoy, too. But we can't. I mean, that's a whole shippy thing as well. But it's not like germane to the Kirk yeah. slash Spock conversation. But I will say McCoy and Spock, like, sniping at each other is a real joy. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good time. And then the whole thing with the search for Spock is... You know, Kirk throughout the show is very devoted to his role as captain, as he should be, and the ship. It's like his whole identity. Yeah. And in Search for Spock, he sacrifices it all to get Spock back. They literally destroy the Enterprise. Which is his baby. He couldn't love anything more than the Enterprise, except apparently Spock. So I feel like that gets across the nature of the ship. I'm just really glad you enjoyed Star Trek so much. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did enjoy it so much. And it was just fun because Kirk and Spock are obviously like I, they exist in the culture. Everyone knows about them. Everyone knows the very basic sketches of what their personalities are like. But it, I feel like there was more warmth and love in their relationship than I would have necessarily expected mm. going into it. Because, yeah, like, I get it. It's a classic. One of them is like very emotional and one of them is really contained and it's like you get the dynamics of it not having seen it but they're so the like friendship is really nice even if you're not watching this as like maybe they're in love with each other or whatever their friendship is super lovely there's something heartwarming about it they really care about each other and it's 
right there on screen. It's not a thing that like people are making up when they watch it. So it was just nice. I had a great time. So we have a lot we want to do in this episode. I think because of its place in history, but also just like how different fandom was. Like we've talked about the dawn of the digital age. The dawn of the digital age. In our Lord of the Rings episode. But this is all this fandom activity is happening well before... Mm-hmm. the dawn of the digital age because the original series aired from like 66 to 69 so so well before the dawn of the digital age so we'll do a little bit of i think of history of the the fandom overall and then get into the k slash s of it all and kind of move from there so a lot of this is coming out of a, a book i found called boldly writing a trek fan and fan fiction history 1967 to 1987 by joan marie verba which is a very in-depth detailing of fan culture, fanzines, cons. She tells you how many pages all the zines were, how they were printed. <laughs> I don't know what it means. She's like, it was mimeographed. And I'm like, that sounds great, man. <laughs> what a great way to copy. But one of the things that they, they talk about in this is the Star Trek fandom really comes out of science fiction fandom. And so science mm-hmm. fiction fandom was established. They had their fanzines. They had all these kind of elements of fandom. And because of its science fiction nature star trek was the first tv show to really replicate those elements of fandom which now are part of like all television fandom which is kind of really i don't know that people know that that is like the roots of any if you participate in fandom now you sort of have science fiction and star trek in particular to thank for that so as the fandom is developing, fans are writing like fandom guides of how do you participate in fandom. They set up something called the Star Trek Well Committee, which is based on a science fiction well committee where you could write a letter to this set of volunteers who would answer your questions of like, how do you get zines? How do you participate in cons? What is this? What is that? Ah, uh, the days before Google. In 1975, which is well after the show was off the air, David Jarrell wrote a book that was commercially published called Star Trek Lives, where he then discussed fanzines, which opened it up to a wider group of people. And he included the well committee's like mailing address in that. So they were able to, to get letters. But at their peak, they were getting like thousands of letters a month, which yeah, good on those I don't volunteers. Know how they were handling this. It's wild. But it's, it's just a, like... Fandom has always been full of people ready to give their labor for free because they just love this thing so much. It's interesting to think about a well committee staffed with all of these volunteers. And it's like, wow, I can't believe they did that. And then I think about now and I'm like, well, think of all the hours fans put into stuff now, <laughs> like producing yeah. stories and art and and putting together all of these websites that put down all of the information. It's like amazing the, that love of these Right. Entertainment properties inspires all of this free labor. <laughs> it's really cool and and fascinating. So the Well Committee continues on and sort of the arc of of the Star Trek fandom through the period that this book is covering. So again, 67 to 87, and it stops in 87 because that's when Next Gen premiered and then it gets all messy with, you know, other Trek stuff, is the basically the decline of the Well Committee and all this sort of again like pre-dawn of the digital age elements of fandom is partially to the rise of the internet but also partially due to the rise of uh, like entertainment shows and different ways for creators to communicate with fans because as we'll get into the creators were really like involved in the fanzines like they were aware of them and participating to a certain extent Mm -hmm. the other thing we loved in this sort of uh history of the star trek fandom is this shift towards the digital age yeah so in, in 1984 alice green mentions in one of the zines I would like to share my discovery of Usenet, which we've talked about before. We don't really understand what Usenet is. I would like for her to share her discovery as well. Alice gives us some information. A nationwide computer net accessible from many university mainframe computers and other entry terminals. There is a Star Trek interest group, net.startrek, consisting of people all over the country with computer terminals and some way of getting on the net. Wow. I feel like I understand what Usenet is like. 7 to 10% more than I did before. Yeah, the, the entry terminals. <laughs> Here I am on my entry terminal connecting to the World Wide Web. Imagine having to go to a university library or something to log on and, and connect with your other Star Trek fans. Times were different before and at the dawn of the digital age, man. So that's sort of the history of the fandom. I'm really fascinated the the ties to the science fiction and then how things continue to develop. But what's going on with K-slash-S- specifically within this history 
this is like a you know moment that would have repercussions throughout time for fandom it's interesting because yeah as you said there is this existing network of like how people do fandom at the time and people sharing zines with each other and writing things and sharing their thoughts and it's not new that doesn't exist simply because of star trek but the idea or like the the draw of this specific relationship between Kirk and Spock completely changes everything for, for people because, uh, you know, it's the 60s when this is airing. It's the 70s when a lot of the fandom stuff is happening. Um, it's kind of a wild idea <laughs> at the time to be what we think of as shipping these two male characters. So very early on, we're talking 1974, so still after the show is over, but sure. in earlier days of fandom, because it continues for more than a decade after that, before our next Star Trek show. This, one of the fanzines called Group 3. <laughs> Grup. Grup, sorry. Per- publishes this story called A Fragment Out of Time by Diane Marchand. I'm going to pretend she's French. It's just a two-page long story. It's like not a lot going on and it's two people. One of them explicitly described as male. I guess the other one not explicitly described as anything. Neither of them I identified by name. It's just a two-page scene of the two of them making love, as it says in this quote. The details are vague. Anybody who's reading it could assume it was a man and a woman making love. But then Diane, in the next issue, writes an essay. Makes it clear this was a story about Kirk and Spock making love so shocking i'm sure shockwaves were sent through the entire fandom potentially the earliest like published story of the genre that is kirk slash spock which in the fandom becomes known as simply slash so that's why we have what is called slash fandom now yes so fascinating bold of this woman to publish this story interesting because we get into this whole bifurcation kind of of the fandom into like what people are wanting out of their fanzines and the writing about the show so a lot of this will be familiar to people if you've been listening to our podcast or engaged in any sort of conversation about fandom before but especially because this is a sci-fi fandom you have this group of people that are science fiction fans are here for the science fiction part of it they like the world they like the space and aliens and the ships and stuff and adventure and they think of this fandom as being about the world of star trek which makes sense right because it does grow out of science fiction fandom and i think very early on that's what the fan fiction continued to be right so it's stories about the adventure they are probably more like episodes of star trek um in terms of like the plot and that sort of thing mm-hmm. they're not what we think of now as being what a lot of fan fiction is like so they're not really about like the relationships between the characters and what's going on with them emotionally and in their minds. that's not how they're trained to watch content and that's not really what they're here for they're here for the science fiction part of it yeah. and then because this is a popular mainstream series you start to get people who are watching it for other things <laughs> they're maybe not traditional science fiction fans they view it more as like a like i'm gonna i always want to say buddy cop show but they're not cops but like a buddy show yeah about this the relationship between kirk and spock and like what their whole dynamic is and how they're just sort of interesting characters and we like how they're interacting with each other and sure it's in space but it could be anywhere right so because you have these new fans that are here sort of for the relationships because they're not really traditional uh, sci-fi fans there start to be people who are wanting their fan zines to be more about the characters and less about the world and then obviously the people who want the opposite of that <laughs> and so you get i assume people sort of dividing themselves along those lines and well it's interesting too because so one of the quotes from boldly writing is so there's k and s and there's k slash s anyone will recognize this if you use ao3 or something it's still the tagging system something that is a character and character is about like their friendship or relationship and then something that is a character slash character is about their romantic relationship so the division between the sci-fi fans and the relationship fans like the relationship includes k and s and k slash s like they they don't want any of it so joanne marie verba mentions that one k and s fan told me that getting spock and kirk off the enterprise was to avoid the distraction of the ship in the federation in contrast to the science fiction fans where the inclusion of the starship enterprise in the futuristic setting were essential to any star trek story and then she mentions that within five years this relationship type of story was to dominate non-k slash s star trek fanzine so the fanzines end up getting split you have your k slash s fanzines which are your Mm -hmm. you know slash fiction and then 
within even within gen zines the relationship stories start to dominate and for the fans who probably started out as these science fiction fans who are watching star trek this is a just shift they don't like one of the debates which has fallen to the wayside and that's occurring throughout this whole period of of time is about like the cost of fanzines Mm -hmm. right and so this is a time when to get these fanzines, like they are physically produced objects. It costs money to print them. It costs money to send them out. People are having to pay to get them. And so it is a very different type of fandom because as honestly, as we've discussed, like the when you're paying for content, you want to hold the creators accountable in a way that is different than fan produced content that you get for free. Right. So if you're paying for these fanzines, you expect to get what you're paying for and I imagine if there become less and less non-relationship focused zines, those sort of fans are kind of leaving fandom. But yeah, so, but we, it's, it's interesting that you see this shift towards the relationship of stories, which now really characterizes, right? Fandom and fan fiction all happening still within Star Trek. So they've built off of the platform that came out of science fiction fandom and it's becoming now what we think of like fandom and transformed fandom of really focusing on in our sort of modern sense, which is interesting. Yeah. And just to mention another important story in the history of Kirk slash Spockfic, we talked about the the very early fragment out of time, but a couple years later in 1976, what became probably most fans introduction to Kirk slash Spock is a story in warped space 20, another zine called shelter by Leslie fish and Joanne Agostino. And so I think that was a, it was not explicitly Kirk slash Bach, but came very close. And so it introduced people to the concept of the two of them as a romantic item. Right. The last bit of, of K slash S really a fan history that we want to mention is in 1986, K slash S fans held their own con. Oh yeah. They've hit the big time. They They get their own con. Way to go, guys. And it only took 20 years. years after the show went off the air. <laughs> yeah. 20 years from the premiere, though. Yeah. So, yeah, that's like a short history of Kirk slash Spock fandom. And I love that it so, like, neatly explains a lot of where we are today in the fandom and the evolution from a particularly sci-fi fandom, which is its own beast but yeah there's the transition into a relationship-based fandom is really fascinating yeah so yeah we've talked about the old fic what's going on on ao3 does this exist over there it's there's such a recency bias to ao3 there is so this is a a place where i guess we're going to talk a little bit about about the reboot movies so for the new films kirk slash spock is number 43 and who's to say how much of that is like residual Kirk slash Spock or just I think again, right, that movie came out kind of height of Tumblr, height of this all this yeah shipping activity that we've talked about before. Yeah. And we run it's tough to characterize because we run into I'm sure we've run into this issue before, probably with Lord of the Rings. It's tough to parse the tags when you have all these different types of content because things get tagged as like just Star Trek, like with nothing else, mm-hmm. things get tagged as Star Trek, the original series, stuff is tagged as the, you know, movies, stuff is tagged as the old movies and the new movies and just Star Trek generally. And so it's very hard to tell unless you're specifically looking at a one story, like what the origin, you know, entertainment that is being discussed, especially since I'm sure a lot for a lot of people, once you have watched all of it, it's sort of all jumbled together, like people are probably writing about some combination version of original and movie Star Trek for some people. So that said, there are about 13,000 Kirk slash Spock fic overall. 5,200 of them are tagged the original series. So make of that what you will. <laughs> it's, as we said, hard to tell what's going on, but it's not an insignificant number of stories. Yeah. For what you know, is a pretty old fandom at this point. One of the older ones, really. One of the older, not as old as Sherlock, but pretty old compared to what we've talked about. So the one that we read is a fic called Translating Annoia by Werewolves Are Real. Love your name, Werewolves Are Real. The concept of it is Spock is about to retire, like he's, for some reason, has decided he's just done. This is Mm -hmm. pre-series. And then... Captain Kirk gets named as the new captain to his ship and he is immediately drawn to him because obviously they're soulmates as everyone knows. 
it's like 7,500 words, which is like slightly outside the bounds of what our normal length is, but nothing too crazy long by any stretch of the imagination. And it was very cute, not explicit. It's one of those, it's some little vignettes of their time together and then they get together by the end. So I would say mostly it does fit our formula inoffensive anybody should be able to get behind this anybody who likes these characters it's not going to turn anyone off but yeah that's the fan work side of our literature but i don't know if this is literature but it is quotes from literature that we read yeah this continues to come from from boldly writing there's just it's a i really recommend this book it's a fascinating read and so one of the things that i pulled as i'm you know working through this and working through fandom and the zines contain fan fiction but they also have like letter section and sometimes the zines are like uh, lists of all other zines so they're they're doing a bunch of different things for this and so through the letters right you find out what the fans are talking about what yeah. they're focusing on and what i've pulled out of it is if you get involved in a in a fandom argument today that argument has happened you are not saying anything that hasn't already been said a thousand times before because what we're calling this section is the more things change the more they stay the same what we the main takeaway for me from a lot of this debate like contemporaneous debate is that there is no new debate under the sun. It's all the same conversation. (laughs) So a lot of the debates and and issues we've discussed throughout the entirety of this podcast are things that you find people talking about in the seventies about the fandom they're participating in at the time. So as we've already sort of touched on this, the difference in people who are interested in the characters and relationships of a show versus the people who are interested in the setting of a show is still a thing that exists now. I would say, as happened in this fandom, the relationship side has kind of won in terms of like how much content there is, but mm-hmm. this is not something that has gone away. So there is a guy named Randall Landers who was involved with this zine called Stardate that is talking about how like he's a, someone who falls on the side of being interested in the setting more than the characters. And so mm-hmm. this zine draws a lot of fans that are interested in that. And interestingly, draws a lot of male writers and readers compared to our other zines. Yeah, Joan Marie, and she'll get into this too when she has some information about like the demographics of the fandom. But yeah, she does say, in particular, Randall's zine attracted more male fanzine writers and artists than most other publications. So we're seeing this sort of gender divide which we continue to talk about and we'll we'll talk about a little bit more as well so the next thing is this (laughs) hilarious concept that you i'm sure will have come across we're calling it male friends are cool too (laughs) so it's this uh reaction that people often have to slash fandom and slash fic in general they're is a debate about whether or not like at the time there's a debate about whether or not people should be shipping Kirk and Spock together. People are speculating about the possibility of an affair between them. And then we have a quote from this guy named Jerry Downs. It's a woman. Oh, this woman named Jerry Downs. I love that. Geraldine, probably. Probably. Yeah. She says, I should have guessed because it's mostly women in the fandom anyway. (laughs) She says, read the possible homosexual involvement in the Kirk-Spock relationship. One of the nicest things in Star Trek was its portrayal of a love relationship between two men without implying that they were gay. Make no mistake about it, friends. These two men love each other and make no mistake, their feelings do not find expression in sex. Where have I heard that before? no (laughs) mistake. Why can't two guys be close friends without people accusing them of being gay? It's hilarious to me that the second anyone is like, maybe these guys are gay. The response is male friendship is important too. And why do we have to accuse any close male friends of being gay? Yes. So that's happening. That's that's happening. (laughs) Nothing has changed, folks. Nothing has changed. I didn't pull any quotes from this, but there is an ongoing also debate between what the book characterizes as literary fans versus no criticism is acceptable fans. So it's just this question of, should you be able to critique someone's fan fiction or their voluntary work? Again, I think it's a little different because you are paying for it through the fanzine, but it is still voluntarily produced. And obviously that debate has continued to this very day. (laughs) Exactly. Another part that is was like strikingly familiar to me is this discussion about why women do this why are women interested like particularly women Mm -hmm. interested in writing and reading all of this fan produced content so in 1985 joanna russ writes an article in the k slash s fanzine gnome 
another it's an article called another addict rapes about k slash s in her essay she analyzes the appeal of k slash s and concludes that it's a metaphor for heterosexual sex among equals with spock in the symbolic female role alternately camille bacon smith writes this book called enterprising women that theorizes that kirk slash spock is a way for women to talk about sexuality at a safe distance and a way for them to quote remake men into the kind of people women can more easily relate to I'm fascinated. Both of those are theories people still have today about why women are so interested in these male slash male relationships. And then on a related note, and sort of about like how men and women do fandom differently, the way that's still talked about, the New York Times book review article by the same Camille Bacon Smith called Spock Among the Women talks about fanzines arise from the female storytelling perspective of a non-linear narrative a narrative of relationships as opposed to the male view of a linear narrative so it's that exact same thing people theorize about today men are interested in like the you plot. know the plot the dates the times memorizing when the battles were that sort of thing and the women are interested in the relationships obviously everything about this is generalizations but it's intriguing to me that that is like the same theories have been around Forever. I, true as they may be, you know, I'm sure people resonate more or less with some of these things, but it's like nothing changes. Yeah. Nothing ever changes. The next bit is always, of course, the question of who is engaging in fandom and, and the public or I guess wider public's perspective of like who's into this thing. So apparently there was hubbub within the fan community for Trek after William Shatner appeared on Saturday Night Live in a sketch showing Star Trek fans as teenage boys who do not have anything else to do with their life. And again, Joan Marie Verba has been involved in the fandom since it's like inception. And she a couple of times mentioned some like quick stats about her experience. But basically, in her experience, everyone involved in this transformative fandom in the lever writing campaigns and all the work that they're doing primarily women over the age of 21. She yep. mentions one con in particular, a sequester con with 110 attendees, 90% were women over the age of 21. It's a lot of adult women. It's always a lot of adult, either women or, or non-males, right? That's where yeah. we're at now, right? We yeah, talked about this point. before. No, that would not have been how she would have characterized it at the time. But right. Yeah. In our fem slash discussion, we kind of shifted towards, it's probably just like not men. <laughs> Yeah, just people who don't consider themselves men are a lot more likely to be in this. Another debate that's been raging since the beginning of time with people creating content is who gets to decide who makes the story. So like who gets to decide what canon is? Again, back to our Neil Gaiman discussion as we always end up. Is it just that the writer is the only one who can say what happens? Are fans allowed to have opinions about what happens in the canon? The idea of like, fanon that exists now are the fans allowed to decide something and to be like well this is just what it is happening even though the show hasn't said that it's true that was a debate that had been happening even at the time yeah so yeah that is just a long list of things that show that people are always people nothing ever really changes and the k slash s fandom the trek fandom really is in many ways like a modern fandom i i we didn't dig as much original modern fandom what was really going on in science fiction fandom and how it was maybe like materially different. I don't know. But once it became something that was open to a wider audience that was on network television, Mm -hmm. it kind of quickly just transformed into what we have today and the debates are the same. (laughs) And it's all the same. It's all the same. You know, if you're deep in an argument with someone about one of these things, if you enjoy it, I guess go for it. But like, I don't think you're going to resolve it. <laughs> Probably like, is, not. Is where I'm at. <laughs> Probably not. So we've saved this for later in the episode than we normally do, but we should get into what the creators say and do. So yes. I think we've got some interesting quotes here to get into. So I wasn't able to find anything from Leonard Nimoy, which is kind of disappointing, but I found quite a bit from good old Bill Shatner, who of course He's not plays... shy about sharing an opinion. He's not, who of course plays Captain Kirk. He's a fascinating figure. I, you can't get a handle on William Shatner. No, so there's can. a couple of, of fun interviews. This one's a little bit more recent. Shatner was asked his favorite Kirk conquest, and his answer was Spock, actually. Just, just the only right answer, because what a gross question that is. It's a fun, pithy little thing. But his his engagement in the K slash S of it all goes back to as, as early as 1979, where during an interview, he was asked, what do you think about this trend in fandom where Kirk and Spock are more than friends? 
<laughs> Bill laughs at this question and says, well, they're gay. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so the reporter doesn't really know how to react to that. And then Shatner says, there's this thing in the United States where quote, people are uptight about homosexuality. The fact that two men are close to each other can invite speculation that they are more than just friends. You're so right about that, Shatner. But he's continuing to explain it to people. That's 1979. Oh, he hasn't given up on this yet. But what ha- what's happening in 2020? So he got into some kind of Twitter kerfuffle, as he often does, which ended which ended with someone saying like, oh, but you won't block Spurk fans, will you? He says, why would I block Spurk fans? The immature types that are looking for attention are bored and looking for drama. So that's about something else that happened in the Twitter exchange. Yeah. And so another follower was like, Shatner, what is Spurk? What are you talking about? And William Shatner <laughs> oh, schools this fool. Days. <laughs> he schools this guy. Yeah. He says, after the original series, alt fan stories called Slash were created in which the characters of Kirk and Spock were lovers, Shatner said. It was called Spurk, Spock slash Kirk, because the other combination was rude. <laughs> When we heard about it, it was funny. Gene released a statement, Gene Roddenberry. And he later goes on to say that he and Leonard Nimoy just enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what we know about, about Shatner. But he's so Shatner's a, got no problem with it, is what we're learning from yeah. his quotes. He's like, and he, he's up on fandom. He's like, this is what I just, is. I'm obsessed with someone being like, what's Spurk? And then him being like, oh, you want to know what Spurk? <laughs> Another person who was not shy about sharing opinions on the subject was Gene Roddenberry. So somebody interviewing him and says, there's a great deal of writing in the Star Trek movement, which compares the relationship between Alexander the Great and Hephaestion, don't know anything about their relationship, to the relationship between Kirk and Spock, focusing on the closeness of the friendship, the feeling that they would die for one another. And Gene says, yes, there's certainly some of that, certainly with love overtones, deep love. The only difference being from the Greek ideal, we never suggested physical love between the two in the series. We certainly had the feeling that the affection was sufficient for that if there were if that were the particular style of the 23rd century. <laughs> That's evocative, Gene. Mm-hmm. There's also this bit from the novelization of Star Trek The Motion Picture. So this would have been like the early 80s, I guess, where Kirk within the novel is explaining his relationship uh, with Spock and how people have perceived them potentially as being lovers. And so Admiral Kirk within the, the footnote supplies the following comment on the subject. I was never aware of this lover's rumor, although I had been told that Spock encountered it several times. Apparently he had always dismissed it with his characteristic lifting of his right eyebrow, which usually connoted some combination of surprise, disbelief, and or annoyance. As for myself, although I have no moral or other objections to physical love in any of its many earthly, alien, and mixed forms, I've always found my best gratification in that creature woman. Also, I would dislike being thought of as so foolish that I would select a love partner who came into sexual heat only once every seven years. That's <laughs> such a Kirk answer. <laughs> His only objection to a relationship with Spock is like, you think I'm going to wait around seven years? No, thank you. No, it's not. That's it's a libido mismatch, really. Yeah. And then a last quote from Gene is somebody is interviewing him and says, I know you've told us you designed the relationship as two halves, which come together to make a whole. Is that still how you see it? And Gene says, oh, yes. As I've said, I definitely designed it as a love relationship. I think that's what we're all about, love. The effort to reach out to each other. I think that's a lovely thing. Also, dramatically, I designed Kirk and Spock to complete each other. And in fact, the Kirk-Spock-McCoy triad to be the dramatic embodiment of the parts of one person, logic, emotion, and the balance between them. You cannot have an internal monologue on the screen, so that is a way of personifying it, getting it out where it can be seen, that internal debate which we all have within. And I designed Kirk and Spock, as I told you, as dream images of myself, the two halves. But in terms of the characters, yes, that closeness, absolutely. There's so much to get into there, Jean. It's a love relationship. I think that's the key. It's a love That is the key, but I'm also fascinated by him having designed the two of them as halves of himself. That love each other. It's wild. They definitely love each other. They not only love each other, they complete each other. Oh my gosh. Isn't that sweet? So a lot of this is from interviews, but Gene and the fans have more direct interaction over the years. Yeah. So this was also interesting digging into the history. So the show starts with Gene bringing the pilot to a science fiction convention. So he's already like being like, I got to drum up fan support. I'm sure he was involved in science fiction fandom as well. I, I, For sure that that was the case and so sort of similar you know we've talked about obviously in previous episodes creators tweeting at their fans and that's now the main mode of interaction and it it 
can have all kinds of effects on the fan creator relationship oh, yeah. as we've discussed but through the zines or they are also communicating with fans so uh, in september of the second uh, year of star trek so this would be 1967 i guess a fanzine called spock and Ailey appeared and Leonard Nimoy had written them a letter wishing them luck. So obviously they reached out to Leonard Nimoy and he was like, way to go, guys. He was <laughs> Keep doing up the good it. work, fans. And a little bit later, another issue of Spockanalia had another letter from Gene Roddenberry, which he said, Spockanalia is required reading for everyone in our offices. Anyone makes decisions on show policy, have read your fanzine, and Juanita Coulson's ST file. So they're they're keeping up with yeah. what's going on in the fan community. Obviously, the you know, the fans are are really active and involved if folks aren't aware star trek was in danger of being canceled pretty routinely and so they were able to keep the show on the air for three years through a letter writing campaign and then after the show went off the air they continued to write letters to get either a second series made or a movie they do more than that this is a (laughs) fandom that knows how to flex their power (laughs) yeah so one of the funniest things in this book and maybe i'll like scan it and and put it on the tumblr too is there's like instructions in one of the fanzines about how to write a professional letter I love that. to Paramount to get them to, to do something like don't just write like Spock's the best you have to like do yeah, XYZ. No, they throw that shit away you yeah. gotta pretend to be a professional here's, normal person. Here are the addresses of who you mail it to. Yep. Here's a form letter like That's they give great. instructions and DC Fontana who's one of the writers of Star Trek she did a number of episodes wrote into one of the zines Starborn telling them Paramount is enormously impressed by the quantity and quality of fan mail they continue to receive. The possibility seems to be slowly developed of Star Trek feature movie for theatrical release. Yeah. So Maddie, what's the other thing fans were able to accomplish other than getting a movie done? Getting a movie done, whatever. Anybody could do that. What these fans have done is orchestrating their another letter writing campaign, not to Paramount, but to President Gerald Ford. <laughs> and because they, they're at the time the space program is growing and this show has been like, obviously there's a bit of connection because the show's about space and people are, you know, interested in one are probably also interested in the other and so there is going to be a new space shuttle i think the first space shuttle and the fans orchestrate a letter writing campaign to gerald ford that they want it to be named enterprise and so the september issue of this starborn no it's a piece it's a piece of the action that's oh right sorry a piece of the action there are so many zines how do they really are the september issue reported the white house has received ten thousand letters with this request and the november issue says ford granted it they get the space shuttle to be named enterprise Yes. By just sending tens of thousands of letters. I adore that. I, mean, I love you guys. We don't know if President Ford was also just a Star Trek fan, which... Yeah, maybe it wasn't hard to convince him. He may have been. I didn't, I didn't dig into that. <laughs> We've also talked before about, you know, whether or not fans can influence canon. They did a little bit. So in the episode Journey to Babel, which is the one where Kirk meets Spock's parents... Spock's mom reveals to the delight of McCoy that yeah. Spock had a, a pet Salot, which is like a, a teddy bear, she describes it. And so in uh, issue of Spock and Alia, Lee Brewasser wrote an article called Concerning Salots, where they add in descriptions and questions about the Salot. And apparently the Star Trek production staff read the article and the animators incorporated many of the suggestions into the drawing of a Salot in an episode of Star Trek, the animated series, which aired after the original series went off the air. That's so great. I love that. Why not steal ideas from the fans? That's the best place to get them. And it's also going to make the fans happy because Lee probably watched that episode, the animated series, and And was like... Like it's complete mind or her mind. I don't know. Again, yeah, Lee, Lee's another, another gender, gender neutral, neutral name. name. I'm not sure about that one. But the good relationship between the fans and creators included once Gene Roddenberry stepped away a little bit. So after the first movie, Harv Bennett took over producing the films. And when he came on board, he wrote a letter into, I think, a piece of the action where he just thanked everyone. Oh, not into a piece of the action, into Interstat. There are a lot of scenes. There are so many. <laughs> uh, thank you for your warm welcome and the valuable copies of Interstat you have sent me. And then as he continues to be involved in the production, they're they're writing into the zines about how the movies are being developed. But also he would write individual contributors of Interstat. Like if they wrote something, a commentary, he'd be like, I loved your commentary, really good in this issue. And you're like, can you imagine getting a handwritten letter from the producer of a TV show? It's like, I really enjoyed your analysis. Of this no, thing. I cannot imagine that. It's incredible. I love that so much. And then the last 
bit of interesting fan activity at the time. When is this? after the first movie came out what's the situation this is before wrath of khan and there's rumors that spock is going to be killed so this i think this is funny because there's yes there's this back and forth with the creators and the zines but like how else do you communicate to the creators of something like don't do this they found you can't just twitter bomb people right no twitter Twitter doesn't exist and and they're reading your zine but if they're not writing you like you don't know they're reading your scene necessarily. So what do they know that these Hollywood types will definitely see? <laughs> Why the Hollywood Reporter, of course, one of the trade magazines, they place an ad in a Hollywood Reporter, I assume a full page ad, I don't know, highlighting the tremendous financial losses to Paramount should Spock be killed in the new Star Trek movie based on a survey of over 700 fans. <laughs> it's a it's an interesting thing to think about of like how do you as a fan before the digital age grab the attention of these creators as they're as they are developing these new things as they're continuing to develop the canon so yeah i think i think it's pretty safe to say that there was some happy back and forth and people were were pleased with what they heard from gene and harv and all the the writers and it, it's just fascinating to think about them reading these zines because we have this question too like to what extent are many creators aware of fandom and what's going on in fan communities? Yeah. And they were clearly seeking it out. Like you had to get the zine. Yeah. They were subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were actually getting the zine. I love that. But as I said, it I, I think it would have been, uh, it would have been impossible to resist because of the way that before this era, you would have just had no idea what anyone was thinking or saying about your show. And to finally have there be a way to just know what people are thinking and saying, like, I would have had to know. I love that. Well, I assume everyone, like, people wrote letters all the time, but this is a way for you then to communicate back to a wide group of people and not have to write individual letters back to folks. Well, and, and yes, some people were writing you letters, but you're not, what's, what, you're not just seeing what they are saying to you. Like, when someone writes you a letter, they say, I love your show. Thank you for making your show. But when you read the zine, you see not just what they're saying to you, mm. but what they're saying to each other about yes. your show. And that's a thing you never, ever would have gotten a window into. That's true. Yeah, that's a really good point. We've brushed up against the concept of it, but I guess we should address the, the reboot movies. Are we going to talk about them? Why are we not talking about them? <laughs> so... Obviously, you know, this is a full length episode. And mm-hmm. I think right the the interesting thing about this ship is it's like historical nature and this conversation it's a about big deal. How how fandom worked before even Usenet. Can you imagine? Pre Usenet people. And so like to get into the reboot element, I think is a different conversation. Yeah, and it's totally different. Kind of similar to a conversation we've had before. It's this question of like is it coming out of this historical case slash fandom? I'm sure to an extent, like we've said, but is it just, this is a movie with two guys and it's coming out in the height of Tumblr and, you know, whatever's going on with Double Q and all that other yeah. stuff. And I don't know. So we could have that conversation at a later date if, if that's a conversation people want us to have. So do let us know. But I have to warn you, if we have that conversation, Kelsey's hatred for this new franchise is going to become known. So it- <laughs> it's going to be a little Star Wars-y where Maddie's going to have to really keep me on topic, but like worse because I the Star Wars movies I think are bad, but they don't upset me well that's because you love the original star trek so much that it's you know close to your heart you can't have anyone do anything bad to it but anyway that's a discussion for another day if people want us to have it so do let us know but i think that probably does as much as we need to do for this original series kirk spock conversation love them moral of the story thank you for having me watch i'm super pleased to have done it i think we've had a good time we've learned some fun stuff yep we learned a tiny bit more about Usenet, we the most did. important piece of information. Uh, and I guess it's a different kind of conversation, but we do still need to ask the question. So I will ask you, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? Well, Jean says they're in love and they complete each other. So that's Too pretty important. It's an interesting issue because, you know... I, do they need to have more of a sexual relationship? Spock won't, except once every seven years. He's basically yeah. an, an asexual character for, you know, most, most of, the of time. his life. And Kirk chooses him over 
over everything and neither of them neither of them end up with ladies no that is another thing that i think is fascinating about them because i was saying to you earlier like what do people imagine for their like what do the writers imagine for their uh, romantic relationships i think it was a thing they probably just didn't think a ton about because it wasn't super relevant to what they were writing but then you said yeah but you see them over the course of their lives and they don't end up with anyone (laughs) like that they are each other's person they are the important relationships and they are what is yeah what you see over the course of the decades of movies so kirk dies in a in a weird way and then spock just continues on with his work but he never tries to find another mate we just see him working Oh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel queer baited. I don't know about you. And clearly, right, what we talk about is as they're making the original run of the show, they're not getting feedback. K slash S doesn't pick up until the 70s. Right. So it's not like they're hearing. Well, from the they're fans definitely not like sending out to the fans. They might get together. Right. <laughs> the baiting element of it is not a thing. I will say, I can't remember where I saw this. I think it was in one of the other books I got. As they were pitching TNG, Roddenberry claimed that Picard and Riker's relationship was going to be even closer than Kirk and Spock. So that feels a little queer baby, (laughs) to be honest. That didn't happen. Although, to be fair to Gene as well, he he passed away before the show ended. So maybe he had a whole plan. They would have been canon if he hadn't died, people. Maybe he had a whole plan. but, yeah. So yeah, I don't think it's baiting. I think you could maybe put a little bit of coding into it, honestly. But no, I wouldn't say it's... I think it's... I mean, the queer baiting scale is weird for this, too, because I don't think fans are picking up on nothing. They have a very warm, intimate well, yeah. relationship. And like, Gene, my favorite one of Gene's quotes is this one where he's talking about how they didn't like express that they had any physical, physical intimacy, but their affection was sufficient for that. If that were the particular style of the 23rd century, I love that. Yeah. So yeah, um, I don't so know yeah. how to rate it. I, there's a coding sort of thing to them. There's an element of like canon thing to it. If you're thinking about them as like this queer platonic relationship, they're clearly each other's and, and they, you know, I don't know. I, I have nothing negative to say about how the creators of the show have steered this relationship. So, I mean, I guess the next question is, why isn't it canon? <laughs> it's the answer that it was 1966. <laughs> I think that is a big answer. I mean, I think, right, like, the show itself was also a procedural where they were just going on adventures. and Like, no one had a long-running romantic relationship in no. the original series. So it's not like that was a thing they were doing. And then it is interesting, I think, with the films, they do end up focusing much more on their relationships and like their inner lives but whether or not they could have made them again like more canonically queer in the early 80s i i don't know it's a tough one but also again right spock is not going to have a physically intimate relationship except once every seven years and we just never see him and and to be fair they do have apparently a somewhat physically intimate relationship if this whole massage Massage. situation (laughs) is happening (laughs) off camera Outside of the massages. So yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't really intended to be that and nothing of the arrow was going to be that. And you probably got about as close to Canada as you were going to with this situation. But I also think, right, the fans weren't demanding that. The fans of this era, even the most ardent K slash S fans, I don't think they were yelling at Gene Roddenberry, make it can't. I don't think they had any expectation. Well, and, but I mean, with the show, the show was off the air by the time most of it was happening. Right. But even the films, right? Uh, There's no, there's no section of this, this history where people are actively writing Gene to canonize. I hope that they kiss in the next movie. Yeah, that's not a thing that anybody was asking for. I don't, yeah, that wasn't an an expectation. So no one, I don't know that no one was asking for it, but it it really is not a similar situation to what we see today where people are actively asking for it and appropriately so. Yeah. So I guess we don't have to do how do we feel about the queer baiting on a scale of one to five because I don't think it is queer baiting. Right. And here's where I normally would ask, did this make you want to read more fanfic? You no, didn't even I read messed, the fanfiction you up. were supposed to read. I was so distracted by this book. <laughs> <laughs> you did plenty of reading. Okay. What What I will say, though, is if anybody can get their hands on those original Kirk slash Bach fic, as we have asked you before, like we are always interested in the vintage fic and it's not super easy to get. So like send it our way. 
if you've got that, because I myself am interested in reading it. Send us your zines, people. (laughs) I mean, there's also a fascinating history about what happened to all the zines. One lady donated her whole collection to the University of Iowa. I don't know if, like, you can go and visit it. I haven't. Is there a Kirk Spock zine library at the University of Iowa? Do we have to go to Iowa, Maddie? Yeah, I think so. If anybody wants to pay for us to go to Iowa. Okay. I think that about does it for us with Kirk slash Bach. Obviously, we could talk forever about it, but we will not. So what are we talking about next week? We're talking about 911. 911. It's very like a change of pace in terms of era and content of the show. Although, you know, it's procedural. That's <laughs> so true. That. But yeah, we're talking about Buck and Eddie from 911, which is a newer show that a lot of people probably aren't that familiar with including perhaps yourself indeed when you suggest when you suggested this i was like i don't know what that is yeah it is a uh fox ryan murphy firefighter procedural (laughs) so we will get into that next week after kelsey does her homework and watches it not next week man (laughs) two weeks from now i i I said that I would try to stop doing that, but I'm never going to stop doing that. I will always say next week when I mean two weeks from now, I should try to say next time. Next Mm -hmm. time. In the meantime, before two weeks from now, when you get another episode, if you would like to continue the conversation, if you have thoughts to share or questions to ask, you can email us at ltbkpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Tumblr also at ltbkpod. If you are enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend anybody who would be interested we'd love new listeners and new episodes of the pod come out every other friday at six o'clock eastern wherever you get your podcasts